I wish back then I knew the importance of mentors, advisors, sponsors, all of these things, because the one thing that I have learned, no matter what career you have, nobody accomplishes success on their own. I think That's right. if you, you work really hard, you're smart, you, you pay your dues um, in terms of putting in the work. But I think when you start to talk about climbing, I really think that nobody does it on their own. And I think all of us need someone to recognize that that's sparking them. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry. And today I'm joined by two amazing women. Uh, one, Nicole Suisa, who was on the podcast um, a, a few months ago, uh, talking about her like amazing career and how she you know, struggled and fought and as a single mom and, you know, really moved herself up the ranks. Um, so I had her come back on to talk a little bit more about that. And she has some fun news to share um, about that. And also I'm joined by Tina Newsom Lee, who, you know, she is, hasn't bounced around a lot in more recent years in her career, but really has pushed up the ranks where she is now at Travelers. And I just wanted to have them both come on and talk about their career paths and you know, what they had to do to you know, make it work and push forward and push upward. Um, and they both kind of came back from, came from similar beginnings and had similar paths. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to have them on and talk about their experiences. So with that, let's bring them in. Good morning, Nicole and Tina. How are you? Thank you for joining me today on The Defense Never Rests. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. I am so thrilled to have both of you. I've had Nicole on uh, one prior time. Tina, you're you're new to to the podcast, but I, you know, when I talked to you on the phone, I could I just could feel your energy through the phone, and I'm just so excited to have you here live and in person and see your face because um, you, know, you just you have a great energy of you, and I just excited to have you on. So today. excited! Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, and kind of our backbone basis of this podcast is to talk about career transitions and, you know, how, how they can help propel us upwards and onwards, and especially some of the difficulties we as women have with, you know, transitions and how important they, they might be for our, our career pro- trajectory. Um, but before we get into that, I want to make sure everyone, you know, tuning in knows who you guys are and what, what you do and, and why I've decided to have you two wonderful ladies on today. Um, and I'm going to start with Tina because I haven't had you on on before, you know, so you're an attorney and you you, you work in, in claims. So, you know, kind of tell me how your path was. How did you end up there? Absolutely, Megan. So I work for Travelers and I'm a managing counsel there um, of several offices. And how did I get started? So a rather interesting path. <laughs> After I graduated from law school, I'm very honest in telling people I had somewhat of a rocky road to even land in my first legal job. So did a whole bunch of different areas from criminal law to family law to a little bit of workers' comp. And eventually I landed in insurance. And I think many of us who are insurance lawyers say we fell into it. <laughs> Most of us didn't choose it. So I'm going to fast forward to joining Travelers. And I joined Travelers probably about 16 years ago, just celebrated my anniversary with them. And I started as counsel where I was trying cases, appearing, doing motions, and doing typical work that a litigator does. And then about seven years into my journey, I became associate managing. And that's when I entered the whole leadership and really loved it, continued to try cases, but also learned now to lead other people. And it was a great pathway for me because to me, before you lead others, you have to learn how to lead yourself. So Fast forward another seven years, and then I got promoted to my position of managing counsel, where I manage um, a staff of about 60-something people. And, and it's just a great opportunity to lead, to engage, to partner with our claim partners, and really to focus on delivering great outcomes and results for them. Were you, did you ever work in a traditional firm-type atmosphere? I did, Megan. Okay. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> As I mentioned, when I graduated, I had somewhat of a rough start. So started with a firm, uh, did a little bit of general practitioner. So they did pretty much everything, criminal, a little bit of family. Uh, that didn't work out too well. So then worked with a solo practitioner who did some work as comp. 
uh, that didn't work out too well. So then went to um, a couple of firms where I started doing um, real estate, landlord tenant type law, learned litigation. And then afterwards, I think I went to um, housing authority. Then after that, I went to another firm. I have quite a pathway before I landed into insurance. But the great part about it was even though it was rocky, I, I really acquired basic skills, right? Yeah. Even as soft skills, you learn how to be resilient, agile, you learn how to um, pivot. So all of those skills, but in addition to learning how to litigate, because one of the good things sometimes when you work for these firms, they'll throw you into the walls and you just learn how to really hone those skills. I am a litigator by heart. I love to try cases. And so I think all of that pathway, while it was rocky, it gave me a great foundation to be where I am today. Um, and also, you know, I know you say you had like, you know, an interesting path, but all those things are kind of like a really good basis. And I think Nicole can speak to it too, because she had a very windy, windy path as well. But, you know, dabbling in different areas of the law, I see as a positive because like, you know, you sure, you might not be an expert on landlord tenant, but you probably know more about it than a lot of other, you know, litigating attorneys. And something might pop up in one of your cases and you actually might be like, oh, wait, I've seen this before. I, I, I think I know what the next steps might be. So I see that as a, a, certainly as a positive, even though it, it might have been a, like a wandering path. Completely agree, Megan. I call myself, I used to be a jack, a jack or a Jill of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that. So Nicole, I, in case anyone hasn't listened to our prior podcast, why do you, I, you, you had a super interesting and winding path as well. And, you know, I love hearing about this because I feel like it's more often than not that you see the wa- wa- the wavy path than the straight path. And I think the wavy path is really what helps develop us. Um, as attorneys, as people, as managers, as bosses, like, I just think it's important to kind of, to have that experience. So Nicole, why don't you share a little bit about your experience? Yeah. I'm I'm so relieved to hear that there's somebody else that had, you know, a a path to success that really wasn't a straight line. It really does, you know, bob and weave. And so my career isn't as long as Tina's, but it is just as varied. Uh, I, I too had some difficulty. Um, I came out of law school, a new mother. I, yeah, unplanned event, had this baby. I was pregnant my entire third year. It was a misery. My daughter was born three weeks before the bar exam by design because she was due the week of. And I said, nah, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) So I had to go through four doctors to let me do it. But thankfully she was a healthy baby and we were able to pull it off. But now I had new new motherhood and budding career that I had to make sense of right so I get my bar license I don't know what I'm going to do with it or how I'm going to manage it with baby I end up going to Planned Parenthood I became their contracts manager it was a cause I cared about you know Planned Parenthood is a it's public interest it pays like public interest (laughs) and I (laughs) And I was a single mom trying to figure it out in, in upstate New York. From there, uh, the CFO and I got along really well. And she was you know, more than twice my age, has seen the, the whole world and then some, and saw a lot of potential in me. Uh, she left to uh, another uh, a network of a service provider in, in the medical field in, in New York and took me with her and upped my salary and I then became a HIPAA privacy officer for nearly two years. From there, I pivoted into international tax. Uh, and I went into Deloitte for a while. Uh, got my eyes wide open in corporate law and, and how that was going to work and trying to figure out work-life balance. I think Deloitte taught me a great deal uh, about setting boundaries and a sustainable work-life balance. I had a nanny that was subsidized. That that was not going to work for me either. I have a daughter. I have one child. And that's the only child I think I'm ever going to have, at least for now, at least that I know of. Uh, I need to I need to I need to raise that child right? and also have a career and not not show my daughter that, you know, having a career woman means you can't be a mom or being a mom means you can't be a career woman. I didn't want her to ever believe that she was a barrier. She certainly came at an inconvenient time, but she was not, she was not a barrier to anything I was trying to do. She was a motivator. I, I, I don't want her to have that generational guilt that sometimes happens with families 
that have unplanned children or single moms or what have you. Uh, but it was unsustainable for me. I, I went into Deloitte quite naive. I think we talked about that uh, in our last podcast. I was quite naive. There's a lot I didn't know. There's a lot I didn't understand. Uh, and I had to learn those things, time management, boundary setting, how you know, managing a family life and a, and a work life, um, being good at both, being terrible at both at the same time some days. Uh, from Deloitte, I decided that I, I really wanted more time with my child. I, I really needed to feel like I was able to do both. Um, I did not feel like I could there. So I, I, I left, but I kept all of my contacts. Uh, I, don't, I try not to burn bridges. Every, every place that I've been to has been part of the fabric. Leaving Deloitte, I went to a firm and I did uh, landlord-tenant law for a year. I realized fairly quickly that that's not how I wanted to retire. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then an in-house counsel position came up out of, out of the wind. I threw my hat in the ring almost as a joke. It's almost when you, when you apply to Harvard, you don't think you're going to get, nobody thinks you're getting into Harvard. Nobody applies to Harvard going, hey, it's in the bag. That's not, <laughs> that wasn't the thought, right? I applied because it was there and I would have regretted not applying, but not because I thought I'd get the job. And sure enough, I got the job, <laughs> right? It's like, wow, this, this must be what the dog feels like when he finally catches the mailman, right? So I, I get this job and I realized very quickly, it's a, it's great responsibility. I'm, I'm filling big shoes for the first time, but everything that I had done up until that point, whether it was data privacy or tax or commercial real estate or residential real estate, landlord tenant disputes, contract writing, contract management, people management, everything that I had done leading up to that point in my career, which is, was still fairly early helped. Suddenly I was pulling different puzzle pieces from my past and applying them to this role. And it actually worked. It, it worked. I was, you know, making it up as I go. And I, was, I felt like I was winging it half the time. I, I learned from a senior advisor that I was working alongside. Unfortunately, he passed away during my tenure. He was, he was very old and very wise. Uh, and between piecing together my past and learning from this advisor on my staff, we did a lot. We were able to accomplish a lot uh, at, at my current company. I'm transitioning out of it now. I now have a new role. I've reached a new plateau in my career. So it, it is a winding road. It has been for me. I know there are some people that you meet and they're lucky enough to have these longstanding careers in one or two areas that they've had, that they've mastered. I, I am not one of those people. I've had to sort of be uncomfortable and, and toss and turn until I found where I was going to land. Sort of like, like Tina, you know, she's, she's, in the, she's been there 16 years. I think she's found her home, it sounds like, right? I, I'm, I'm in the sort of the beginning stages uh, that Tina's talking about. I'm like, oh man, I can relate. I'm sitting here going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm where she was, right? And hoping that this next phase is where I land so that 16 years later, I can laugh about all of the, the you know, sizes out of my closet that I tried on and uh, talking to, to someone new, new professionals, new attorneys. Well, first I, I, we, I have to extend a congratulations to, to you on your, your new role. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit, but congratulations, Nicole. I love, right. I love hearing that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But, you know, Tina, during, like, after hearing, you know, Nicole's story, you were nodding. I could tell, like, you were, like, oh feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you had that, you had a bob and weave, and you did kind of, you found a home that I, I, you know, that you've, in that home, though, have pushed your way up, you know? So how has that experience been for you, you know, having your, you know, your, your home, but, like, really pushing through the ceiling and, you know, rising up through the ranks? I was nodding so much when Nicole was talking because, you know, Steve Jobs has this quote and I love it because he says, you don't understand life looking forward. It's only when you look back that you can connect the dots. And boy, is that so true? Because when you go through all of these things, you really don't understand, like Nicole was talking about, everything is going to fit. And you look back now and say, wow, everything that I went through 
prepared me for this moment and the moments that I would need. And when you asked me about travelers and how I pushed my way up, you certainly don't do it by yourself. I'll, I'll say that that's something that I learned. Being first generation, no one to prepare you for corporate or even what, you know, what it's like to be a lawyer. Or So you're navigating to Nicole's point, this new space, this new territory. I wish back then I knew the importance of mentors, advisors, sponsors, all of these things. Because the one thing that I have learned, no matter what career you have, nobody accomplishes success on their own. I think That's right. if you, you work really hard, you're smart, you, you pay your dues um, in terms of putting in the work. But I think when you start to talk about climbing, I really think that nobody does it on their own. And I think all of us need someone to recognize that that sparking them. Nicole talked about the the gentleman who, I think he passed away sadly, but that person who saw something in her, because sometimes we don't see it in ourselves. Sometimes these experienced people see something in us and say, you know what, they encourage you and help you, help you take that next step. So when I look back to how I got to where I was, it certainly was because I worked my butt off and was willing to say, as Diddy says, I can't stop, won't stop, try to stop me. Right? <laughs> That's what I learned in life. <laughs> but also thank for the thankful for the people who who saw something in me and were willing to help me, willing to give me that stretch assignment, willing to say, I see more in you, you can do this and encourage me. And not even just people who are up, I, I would say peers also, because I think sometimes we uh, don't pay enough homage to people alongside us, right? Who help us, our colleagues, those, you know, I don't just believe in managing up. I think you have to manage sideways and even quote, nobody's beneath you. But I think it's just important to realize it's all different levels that you need people because at the end of the day, Megan and Cole, I'm sure you guys both agree. To me, leadership is influence. And as you rise up, mm-hmm. you're, you're called upon to be, be a leader. And it's all about influence. And so I think honing those skills is really important. And how you get there is being really humble, knowing that leaders not only, you know, walk ahead, but you have to also learn how to follow. And I think that pathway has helped me get where I am. Yeah. And I I, I love hearing that, too, because I think a lot of times, too, like you might like how you're talking about how you don't really know what's happening until you look back. Like you might have a mentor, but you don't really realize they're your mentor when it's happening until later you're like oh yeah like because I I, I, maybe it's just me but sometimes it hasn't been obvious to me that this person is really helping me but I I, at the time you're I I'm not realizing that they're actually like mentoring me and grooming me and helping me like move up um until later then you're like oh that's what was going on there Um, absolutely that that completely resonates I don't no one's an island that's absolutely true and and something that we talked about the last time that you and I were together, Megan, is acknowledgement, right? Acknowledging people. Yeah. So I, I think I told you about that tradition I have every time I leave a, a place, I send that big letter, like that reflective letter to the entire company. And I make shout outs all the way down the line from mostly of my colleagues more so than anyone else, because they're people that I think were unsung heroes, people that just weren't thanked enough or weren't recognized. And it's just a big thank you for the privilege of working alongside you guys, I, I will be doing a letter like that soon. Oh, uh, <laughs> right. But that, that acknowledgement really does go a, a long way. And when you look back, every phase of your career, every phase of your success has at least one or two people there that you can recall. And you're like, oh yeah, I learned this from, from this person, right? I learned from the CFO at Planned Parenthood who then became my supervisor at the next place. Yeah. I learned from, from my, that my late advisor at this place, there's everywhere, everywhere I look down to like my teachers, down to some teachers of mine, you know, in high school that were trying to encourage me to do and be more. I think women in general, that I've seen this more in women than in men, in my experience, we are so damn self-conscious, you know, we're so like the imposter syndrome is real and it's nagging. It's all the damn time, right? Men have just exude this confidence because they've been told the, the whole time for decades that they're made to be executives. They're made to be in positions of power. They've been in positions of power. You know, when you look up a CEO of a company, you know, more often than not, if you have to flip a coin, it's a dude. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, so women just really internalize that a lot and think that, Oh, am I fit for this? Am I up for this? Can I do this? 
and having someone there alongside you to say, yeah, you're doing a great job. What do you mean? It, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And that also it's good and bad because you need that introspection in order to be a really good leader. I, I think good leaders know their strengths and weaknesses and play to them and leverage the people that they're leading to fill in the holes so that there's, you know, there's a common goal that's achieved. You know, if you know you're not particularly great at something, you don't want to keep the ball. You want to pass the ball. Right? But you need that, that sense of introspection. And then it's just it's, yeah. it's a real balance between being introspective and it being self-deprecating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, it can be hard, too, because, you know, especially if you're, you're taking on new, new roles or a, a, a new scenario, you don't know everything. So you, you, can't, like, you might you feel like a fish out of water. And that you might not belong, and you're like, "Shit, did I did I bite off more than I can chew? Am I going to be able to do this? You know, or did they make a mistake? Like, <laughs> yeah. they're going to find me out and be like, oh, she is not the woman for this job.' Um, you know, Tina, did you find and I, did you find that like as you moved up your ranks that you had a little of those those feelings when you were like took on a new role? You're like, "Shit, should I really be here?" <laughs> You know, I, I think that's so interesting and a good question in the cohort of the whole imposter syndrome. And I share with people that I had to learn how to get out of my own way. And I think that was mm-hmm. so important for me, again, being a first generation Black woman who's often not seen in these corporate spaces. And so while I say that I had to learn how to get out of my own way, I also think that um, that's not removing the fact that racism and sexism are still alive and real, Right. But it's things that you have to learn to accept and manage because if you don't, I tell people all the time, I'm a true introvert, but nobody believes me because they see me at the job showing up. But I know I have to show up because (laughs) if I don't, I'm going to go, you know, invisible. And part of the thing is learning how to be exposed and get out of your own way and advocate for yourself and say, yes, I can. And so when those nagging doubts get, you know, come into your head, and I think everybody has those nagging doubts at times. You just pull, you have to be able to pull onto that internal thing, look back at some of your past success and say, yes, I can. And hopefully you have this cheerleading squad who believe in you, right? So I, I, I think that that is so important. And, and I think I think men struggle with it too, honestly. They just mm-hmm. fake it more. But um, I think that it, it, it's particularly for women and people who don't have those, uh, I guess I want to say those visible role models where they see it. We look at what Katanji just went through, right? She's the first. Okay. One something years later, a first. It's easier when you see yourself represented in those spaces. It's a lot harder when you've never seen yourself. So you, at the same time, have to push through it, believe in yourself. Hopefully you have this squad that lifts you up and believes in you when those doubts come in. But it's a very real thing. So long story to answer your question was I really did have to learn how to get out of my own way yeah. despite everything. But the beautiful part about life is, again, looking backwards, I learned early on, life is not always fair. So guess what? Can't stop, won't stop, try to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's what makes this conversation so important, right? Is you you hope that people have a cheering squad. Not everybody does. You know, some of us came out of the projects and, 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 our, and our, you know, our people want to cheer for us. They just, they don't know how. They have no yeah. concept of where we're going, what we're doing. I mean, you know, I, I go back to, to my old neighborhood and I talk to my my old friends or I write them letters sometimes. And I, even the way I speak, even the way I write, like the, the vocabulary I'm using, I don't realize is like, hey, you're sounding a little uppity. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> don't uh, simplify, simplify, right? Even, you know, you, you're moving up and you're trying to to enter these different, these different rooms and classes that, you know nothing about because that's just not where you came from. That's not what you had. That's not, you know, and nobody was there to guide you. They they wish the best for you. you the people that you came from are cheering you all the way on. They're hoping that you're that you win because they, they need to see you win. But other than that, having them usher you or walk with you, it's really hard. So as much as you hope that people have those cheering squads along the way, not everybody does. It's very isolating the further up you get. And that's what makes these conversations so incredibly important. Like we need to normalize having these talks. We need to normalize being each other's, you know, cheering squads within our professional arena because you don't know what everybody's story is. You know, the, the, the more refined and polished you get, the less you see the scars. 
And so you really don't know, right? It's I I I think we need to talk about these things. These were not normalized conversations when I was in law school. These were not normalized conversations when I was graduating law school. And it wasn't all that long ago. You know, I, I won't speak for Tina. I know she's further ahead in her career from what it sounds like. I'm not sure these were normal conversations back then because I know I wasn't having them in college. <laughs> you know, they, they missed me, you know. <laughs> so we need to we need to have conversation like this on a regular basis and not have it be part of some DEI initiative, but have it be normalized in everyday spaces. This needs to be like water cooler talk so that people find people they relate to, people find people they want to cheer for. It's part of networking. It's part of, you know, climbing. Like Tina said, you don't climb alone and you shouldn't because if you're climbing alone, you're going to be real lonely when you get to the top, right? So it needs to be that you're taking people with you. And the only way to do that is to really be open and vulnerable and have these conversations on a regular basis. Yes. And Nicole, not to jump in, but I, I couldn't agree with you more because I think that it's so critically important for whatever medium you use. I'm all for lifting up the sisterhood. I am. I think it's really important. Women are now becoming more than 50% of the workforce. I mean, climbing at astronomical levels. For me, we really need to really be pushing sisterhood at work, meaning I'm, I'm cheering for you, Nicole. Guess what? If you become CEO and I don't, I'm cheering for you, sister. To me, right. that is how we're going to build this cheerleading squad. And again, I'm not leaving the men off the hook either. Absolutely. You know, we need men as well to be women cheerleaders. Women need to be men cheerleaders. Look, it's about building an inclusive workforce that I could tell you okay. I haven't always seen, right? And we're trying to get to that point. But I think to your point, when we come from environments where we're the first to only People don't know how to support you, but as you grow up, I think it's important to build this inclusive village of people who are truly really lifting up one another, supporting each other, because we have to do that for each other. If not, it's to your point, it's going to be pretty lonely at the top if it's just Nicole sitting up there, right? It's an obligation exactly. to really support each other and, and to lift, lift up each other. And I didn't want to move on without touching, touching on this because Nicole had mentioned, you know, navigating her career early on being a single single mom and fi finding something that worked for for her to be able to to be a mom and and you know pursue her career forward Tina did you have like similar a battle in, in or not battle but struggles in in your mind as to you know the kind of job you needed to have to help support your family and be a role model for for your children Absolutely. So I think growing up, I was one of those girls that always dreamed of getting married, having kids. And I have three sisters and they're all married before me. My younger sister got married twice. And I'm like, what about me? Because for me, that's important. It was great to have this career, but always want to be married and have kids. That's a really critical dream that I had. And I became, um, got married late. My husband took way too long to propose, but, um, <laughs> and had kids later in life. But Interestingly, when I got my first management position, I really wasn't even thinking about it because I was, a, I was a, a new mom. The kids were young, thinking I was a litigator, so I'm, I'm doing court. How am I going to balance all of this? And I really didn't think about it. I fell into the position simply because I wanted to help my friend who became the manager and he saw something in me, encouraged me to apply, and lo and behold, the best, probably one of the best decisions career-wise that I made. But really figuring out to Nicole, so how do you balance everything? In-house is great because it's not like, you know, we don't have to work from nine to like 12 o'clock at night. So that provided an easier balance. Okay. But then at the same time, we know we still are in the legal profession. You know, men are sometimes they don't have the same responsibilities as us with, with balancing everything at home and, and the career. So I did one, I struggled at times, but thank God for the village. Thank God for my mom. She lives with us. Thank God for a, a supportive spouse and thank God for the village. I, I, I love to say I'm unapologetically not a superwoman. No, nope, sometimes the house <laughs> could be messy. I'm being honest, Legos, whatever. I can't do it all. So I'm unapologetically not a superwoman, but strive for excellence in every area. And, you know, they talk about this whole thing with balance. I try to get it right. Sometimes I'm, I fail, but hey, yeah. just get back up. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say yeah. I, I'm the first to be like, I'm actually sometimes amazed when I go to other, like other people's houses and like, I, and I know like, you know, it's a two career house or it, it, whatever. I'm like, how is it so neat? Like, maybe, maybe. 
yeah i'm like what mm-hmm. that like my, like i got crumbs on the floor like you know like and it's even after the cleaning lady comes like i i'll even do that and, and with an hour there's crumbs on the floor i'm like how, how do how do people attain all this they maybe they are superwoman i don't i'm not Whatever. i'm Fine. certainly not <laughs> yeah I, I i think that's something we definitely talked about during our last podcast together uh and and wendy brought this up really well too is you can't have it all you can't it, it's it's this utopian fantasy of women ever since you know they entered the workforce thinking that they could just split themselves in two and manage everything no, it's unrealistic. I thought that that was a thing. I really did. I, I tried my damnedest. <laughs> I thought that you could have it all. You know, I, I, I wanted the career. I got the education. I worked hard for it. I did everything that was prescribed to me. I did everything my mom ever said that I would and should do. And then I had this child and I wanted to be, you know, the mother that this kid deserved. And I, that was, I mean, I fell, I fell on my rear end and I got hit hard. Like I, it was a hard realization to realize that, that, no, that's not how it works. You cannot do everything. You're going to be bad at some things some days, bad at some things other days. Your kid's going to make you feel guilty as all get out. Your job is going to make you feel like you're behind. There is no such thing as doing it all. I had a very hard time accepting help, whether it be in the form of a nanny. I was nobody raising my kid or somebody coming in. I would clean my house. But yeah, no, no, by all means, please come in and clean my house. Matter of fact, here, I'll help you. We'll we'll chat about it while we do this. You know, accepting help is not a demerit, right? Women are so like always constantly under pressure. You got to be great at this. You got to be great at that. Particularly because when you're a mom in the workforce, you want to prove that you're capable and that you're competent. It's, you know, whether we admit it or not, yes, it's illegal, but yes, employers still look at moms as a liability at times. Oh no, she's pregnant. Oh no, she's going on maternity leave. You know, what a, what an expense, what an inconvenience. And so you're always, you know, having to prove something that you have to prove you can do it. I just, again, with normalizing these conversations, normalize asking for help without feeling like it's a demerit, either to your motherhood or to your career or to your womanhood in general. Uh, that was a big, big, stressful, expensive, costly lesson <laughs> that I've learned, you know, in the in the first few years of both my daughter's life and my career, because they kind of they've run uh, parallel to each other. Right. I, I have a daughter who's as old as my law school graduation. That's how I remember <laughs> when I graduated. <laughs> like I graduated two months later, she was born. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a big thing to learn. And it's a lesson that I have to often remind myself of knowing that I know that and watching other women do that and watching other women do it gracefully, way more gracefully than I'm doing it. It's a constant check-in, a constant reminder. Yeah. Do you, Tina, do you struggle with that as well? I totally agree. Yes. And I have three sisters and I, I was the last one to have kids and they know all this different life phase and here, here I come, right? But I, I do say I'm really grateful because my mom really did help a lot. You know, I was not sure about asking for her help. I mean, <laughs> I, to the point where my son was born, like, mom, like for umbilical cord, the thing that she did everything for me. But I, I wasn't shy about uh, asking and, and accepting help from her. I will say, Nicole, to your point with um, one of my colleagues was sharing with me because my husband and I would get into fights like about the house being junky and different things. And just I feel like I'm taking on more of the, the, the shoulder. What we don't talk about is the stress that it could cause in the marriage as well. So mm-hmm. I've been struggling. I really have been saying we just should get somebody to help us to clean the house. But then to your point, of all, I have that struggle. Like I feel some type of way saying, like, who am I to get somebody to clean the house? It doesn't feel right coming from where I come from. And so yeah. I need to get to that point because the house looks a disaster most of the time. <laughs> but hey, we're happy. <laughs> we're happy. But so I do. I, I've struggled with, with that to the extent. But realizing um, nobody can do it alone. And to Nicole's point, help is not a bad thing. I mean, I think without help, it's impossible to be able to juggle a, a, a career and family and keep your marriage intact. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so to piggyback on that, though, so like Tina, especially you're in a, a management position, you, you, you can see people on, you know, your teams, like, 
like they might be struggling or moving up and like, what do you do to kind of help them? Because you, you've gone through it all and you're still struggling. I mean, you, you'd be lying to be like, no, I got it all handled. I'm good. Yeah. But you know, what, what steps do you take to kind of help others on your team? Renee Brown said vulnerability is calling vulnerability. And I so agree with that. I'm very transparent with my team. I think if if you're not, I think that's one way in which you model the way in which you're open with them and sharing with them that they're not alone in in the different struggles they face COVID. I mean, who hasn't been impacted by COVID and didn't go through some real challenges? And so I think being open with the team, I'm, I'm empathetic. I think Sometimes people think that you can balance empathy with accountability, right? As a leader, as a manager, you have to build in accountability. But I think, honestly, I operate by the golden rule. How would I want to be treated? And I think leaning into that, sharing with my team, you know, my real life struggles and helping them to the extent that they need help. I I think that has been um, one of the reasons why I would say I connect well with them, because I think nobody wants to think they report to somebody who has it all together is perfect human being who just navigates through life and everything. No, people, you, that makes you unrelatable. So I think that I really share with my team. I'm not ashamed to share when if I'm going through struggles because I think it does help them and to let them know, listen, if they need, you know, a couple or whatever they need, I'm there to help as well because that's just my leadership style, how I lead. Has that made you more influential? I would think that if you're relatable, you know, that is that is the key to having influence over people is if they think they can relate to you, then they can approach you. Completely. Yes. I Didn't think so. Nicole, I think you hit it. I think that's the key to connecting with people. I really do. And I think, and I've learned, I used to be right. And it says, um, characters, no one wants to deal with, the, believe a character doesn't have flaws. We all have flaws, really. And if you want to call some things are fine, fine with that too. I'm not perfect and I don't want my team to think I'm perfect. It's been the key to me to connecting with people. And at the end of the day, leadership is influence. And that's how I think you're able to really influence effectively when they see this is a real person I'm dealing with. And uh, to that point though, I also like from a management perspective, like if your, your team knows that you're not perfect and like you've messed up on things nope. and they're more likely to, when they mess up, they're more right. likely to come to you because they feel a comfort being like, oh, Tina's not going to bite my head off and tell me how stupid I was or, exactly. was, but they, you know, everyone messes up. Like yeah. we, you know, like, I mean, I can't even count how many times you've messed up because you're learning. Right. <laughs> We're always learning. I mean, so Nicole's starting this new job. You're going to mess up at your new job. Yep. <laughs> Except Nicole, you're going to mess up at times. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> That's already it's, stressing me out. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to segue into this a little bit too. So, you know, Nicole, you know, you, you have this, awesome opportunity that you're you're starting and how did it go you know because you were in an opportunity that you already talked about that you're like I just applied for and I didn't I just said hey let's try to get into Harvard and you got into Harvard and now I I don't know did you get into Oxford now I guess I don't know but I mean as far as law schools go I guess I guess I got into Yale yeah (laughs) Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that it didn't Harvard get pushed down a, a notch or something yeah. this year, but you know, how was that um, discussion for you when you broke that news to your soon to be former employer that you're, you know, moving on? Oh gosh. You know, I was dreading it. I, I, I was absolutely dreading it. I waited to the end of the day. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to bite my head off. He's going to kill me. And I, I explained it in, in a way like, look, I, I love working here. It's not you. It's not the company. It's certainly not my colleagues. I, I've enjoyed them. This is just, this is a move I need to make for my family and my, my family stability and well-being. It's, it puts us in a financially much more advantageous position. I will be working from home all of the time, not a hybrid schedule, not COVID, like forever. <laughs> you know, and I, I never really, well, you know what? I won't say I never did. I actually... I, I thought working from home was cool before the rest of the world thought it was cool. Like I, I was trying to get Deloitte to give me more work from home days because I realized that that was going to be the key to being able to raise, to raise a small child and manage you know, deadlines. Right now I am finally, this is as close to the utopian idea that I had for myself 
uh, as I've ever been. So it was really hard to turn it down. I was not pitching out resumes. I was not like frantically looking for a new job. They found me like this, my new company hired a recruiter. The recruiter found me on LinkedIn. Um, they needed someone who was doing the exact type of work that I happened to be doing for the last year. And I, I've, I had quite a volume of it. Uh, and so the skill sets happened to, to match up and I got sent in for an interview. The interview went well. I got sent in for several more interviews. Those went well too. And I got offered this position that I just, I can't, cannot turn down. Uh, there's a little bit of guilt there, particularly when it's a company that you like and being, being general counsel, I was everybody's, you know, guiding beacon in the company. If there was a question, ask Nicole, ask Nicole, send that to Nicole. What did Nicole say about this? Did Nicole approve this? Does it? You know, it was it was the catch-all. I was this catch-all of making people feel safe in making good decisions. And I was trying to empower my staff to make well-reasoned, well-educated decisions. You know, you have to make you have to make calls on your own. I'm not going to be there all the time, but I can teach you how to make a better decision. For me, that's effective lawyering, that's effective leading, that's just effective everything. I don't want to be the one to make your decisions for you. I want to empower you to make the decisions for yourself and teach you how to get there. And so that's the relationship that I had with my staff. And I, even though, you know, I had access to, to a closed office and all, which I used for phone calls, I took up a cubicle, like in the middle of the floor, like center of the floor, so that I was extremely open. Anyone could see me accessible all the time, you know, joining conversations, overhearing conversations and chiming in, you know, they got used to that, <laughs> you know, taking, taking questions, being accessible to people so that they didn't think of me as a legal beagle in the corner. I was, you know, the young, hip, Aaron Brockovich type attorney that they can come and talk to, right? Uh, and and that, that worked out. So the staff is like, they, they're fearful almost. Like they're like, still, you're leaving? <gasps> they're scared of the guys. You know, there's nothing to be scared of. You know, you know this, you know what you know. I'm writing manuals. If there's a reference question, there's a manuals folder for it. I'm going to write a manual on anything and everything I can think of that we've done in all the time I've been here, which I do that anyway. I, I write process. That's that's one of the things I do well. That's one of the earliest skills that I realized I had is I, I'm, I'm a structured thinker. I write processes for people, step-by-step -step processes, guides, what to do, when to do it, how to do it, what happens if this happens, fail safes. I write processes. That's what I do. I write manuals. So I made a folder of manuals for them to be able to utilize. Um, the COO, you know, hinted at doing a counter offer, which made it harder. You know, that would make it harder. It's it's already hard leaving them. Yeah. Um, this is one of those places that you know sometimes you leave a workplace and you're like, good riddance. I've had that. I've had experiences like that. They were not great experiences, and you're just like, see ya. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> This was not one of those places. I, I leave I leave First Tech with a heavy heart uh, and, and a fondness for my staff. I gave out my cell phone number to everyone in the office. I've never done that before. <laughs> I'm, you know, I imagine they'll utilize it. I hope they do. Uh, but I, I am very impressed with my boss, the CEO. I thought he was going to be mad. I thought he was going to butt my head. I thought I was going to get yelled at. Like I went into his office like, oh, I got to talk to you. Can we talk? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he he was very understanding, and he has he has a wife, he has children, he has a family. Um, he was to his to his credit, very understanding and very gentle with me. So I'm I'm grateful. Well, you know, and I I love hearing that because it also it just it speaks very highly of where where you're at now and where you're going, and it also speaks to like you as you know a leader there and how how much that how, how fondly they think of you um but with that so tina you're probably on the opposite and you probably have great people that you value highly and then they get opportunities and leave you so what what is like what is your reaction or feeling on on your end when you have like a, you know someone great on your team that just you know they they find another opportunity i think the mark of a, of a great leader is to build great leaders and so um, Liz Wiseman has a book about multipliers. And I, I really think that, that to me, that's the call of being a, a leader. It's developing other leaders. So 
I'm probably um, a little odd, but I actually try to develop people and push them to, when you see something in someone and you know that you really can't offer them more, you really do want to see them grow and flourish. And uh, we've had a whole, we've had a, a lot of people actually go on internally to get other like great opportunities. And if they leave externally, that's fine as well. Because I really, I know myself. And again, I always say I try to operate by the golden rule. And honestly, I'm a person that's constantly wanting to stretch and grow. So how could I be upset if somebody else wants to do the same if I can't yeah. offer that to them? So for me, it's really important. I love to pour into people. I think that's why I love leadership. I love to pull out that human potential and watch people grow. I, I actually think that it is it gives you such an intangible feeling. It's almost better than a bonus, but it's nice to see people grow and achieve great things. So I actually love it. I, I never get upset. I'm always very joyful to Nicole's one, keep in touch with people because even if somebody moves on, if you establish a relationship, the relationships don't end. They just take a different form. Yeah. So it gives me great joy to know that I played a part in someone being developed and trying to reach their full potential. I think that's the mark of a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I would be so disheartened if you were like, yeah, scrum. <laughs> and it goes back to the the networking point that nicole had brought up earlier too like the networking is just so important like you know keeping those ties and maintaining those ties throughout your your career because you just never know the the twists and turns that everyone's going to take and also not to keep the ties for a professional reason but like you, you like these people so just because yeah. you don't work together doesn't mean you're not friends right. yeah uh, you, you absolutely make a network for yourself and they they become your resources too I can't tell you how many times yeah I've I've gone through something and I and I pick something up that I know is a little over my head but I'm like oh you know who would know that you know so and so from 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 Deloitte so and so from Alliance oh yeah that, that person I work you know what let me call them up let me let me give them a quick text and more often than not if you've built a good rapport uh, they're responsive like that, you know, and it's, it's great. It's free, easy help from people that, that know it and that are good at it and that care about you. And you have this network to take with you everywhere you go. There's, you know, I, I don't believe in burning bridges. I haven't burned very many. Uh, you know, there's, there's really only one standout place I've ever worked that I was like, you know, bye. <laughs> but mo most of the places that I went to, uh, I've maintained my my relationships with a majority of the people I work with, including supervisors, and you just you end up building your own little village, your professional little village that way that you can lean on when you need to. And that's that is that's been paramount. That's invaluable. Yeah, it's so funny when you know better, you do better. So in my younger days, I will say that there have been times when in my teeth and, you know, I probably didn't always part things correctly. But as you get older, you realize, and my pastor says this, relationships are the network in life. And you really do learn that. And so I really do try to maintain those relationships with people. Because honestly, you never know when an opportunity comes to your cross path. You may be able to help them. They can help you. You can connect them to someone else. I think it's so important how you, how you, how you part ways with people. So, Nicole, huge congratulations yeah. to you again. I think I know you're going to be an amazing leader because obviously you already are. Yeah. I mean, and and I love that you reminded, reminded me of the letter that you do because I, I just love that. Tina, have you ever gotten a letter from an employee who's left? Oh my God. I would probably email. So, you know, with emails and, and just talking about how much you impacted them and how much you, I, ha I had this one um, person who went on to get a management position and it almost like brings you to tears when they just talk about the impact, that difference that you made in helping them see something in themselves. And for me, Nicole's point too, it just, to me, it means so much more than, um, it's an intangible that it's hard to explain how that makes you feel when you play that role in somebody's life. Because people played that role in my life. So it's all about, to me, paying it forward. Yeah. Well, absolutely. you know, we're just about out of time, but I, I want to close up with, with this as, um, for, for both of you is, you know, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self knowing where, where you are now? Uh, I'll start with you first, Tina. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, God, I have so much advice. Tell myself, but... <laughs> well, it could be multiple pieces of advice. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to pigeonhole you into one. Yeah. A couple, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say one was 
learn how to get out of your own way early. Sometimes you are your worst critic. And I think a lot of people say that we beat ourselves up and sometimes you have to learn how, to, I wish I had learned that early. And I'll go back to my favorite singer who's no longer here, Whitney Houston. She had the song, Learning Ooh. How to Love Yourself. I think that's so connected to it. And I know that sounds a bit personal, but I think it carries over also into professional life. Um, you know, when she sings that song, she talks about it's the greatest gift of all. And it mm -hmm. truly is. And sometimes it's a journey. It doesn't always happen naturally. And I say love because love allows you to accept yourself flaws and all. And once you do that, you can love others as well. And I think you carry that into work. So two pieces, I think that's so critical. I wish I had learned these early on, but I still think I have a long way to go in life. So, hey, <laughs> but that's what I would tell my younger self. Well, and you know, Tina, I will say, I kind of love how you've woven in how many different musical artists into this. <laughs> 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 it's great. Keep it up. <laughs> Nicole, how about you? Yeah, I want Tina's playlist. I, I want her playlist. Uh, so as an extension of what, what Tina said, aside from getting out of your own way for me, something that, that's been working at least for the last two roles that I've acquired, shoot your shot, shoot your shot. You know, it, it's my, my Whitney Houston song is I didn't know my own strength. Right? Oh, that, one, that one resonates. I love that one. Uh, and that's true. It's like, you don't know, you, you don't know how strong you are compared to others. You don't know what you're capable of unless you try. Right. And so if you're not giving yourself an opportunity, if, if you're selling yourself short at the onset, you're not going to get there. You know, let it be that you tried. And if you, if you got rejected, better, better a rejection than, than not, than the lack of initiative. So for me, it would absolutely have to be, you know, shoot your shot. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what they're thinking. Don't worry about it. If you're going to do it. Don't worry about it. Shoot your shot. Throw your hat in the ring. Try. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. Um, I, I appreciate both you so, so much sharing. And like, honestly, I, I think I could probably keep chatting with you guys for another hour hour and a half so maybe we'll have to do a part two because I, I just find both of you are so inspiring and have just like the way you talk about your your like where you started and where you are now I feel like if I talk to both of you in two years they're going to be even even further along and I just, oh, I just love hearing from both of you you <laughs> I just started from the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. You could do a whole podcast with quotes from songs. <laughs> but again, I appreciate both of you so much. Thank you for taking the time out of out of your day to come on and sit sit with me and you know talk to me about your your careers and your pro progression and where you're going. And you know, I want to leave the offer out there for you to come back on. We'll we'll chat even more because I just Absolutely. I love chatting with both Thanks. of you. Sure, sure. Thank you for Thank the you. Nicole, nice to meet you. And Megan, it was great. Wonderful to meet you, Tina. You're an inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Thank much. you.